Well, this morning we are continuing in 1 Peter, and you might be feeling some of the same things I felt this week when I was kind of reading the verses, and I thought suffering again, we're going to talk about suffering and how to deal with it again, because it seems like the whole book, kind of every other thing is about suffering, but um, I think it's an important topic and something that we don't always talk about um, as believers. And I was listening to a pastor a few years ago, and he was kind of talking about this topic of, of how often or how to deal with suffering. And he said, basically, this is what's happening. Either your people are suffering right now, either they, and they just came out of suffering for something, or they're about to go in it. And so there's always kind of this place in our lives where something is going to go wrong, we are going to be suffering if we're not doing it right now. And maybe you've just finished going through a season of suffering, and you're kind of like, what do I do now? How do I recover? What do I do? How do I look? And so we're kind of in this thing um, of, of, of suffering because of the world we live in, that it is broken, that it is ravaged by sin, and things go wrong all the time. And we've seen in First Peter, there's a couple of different kinds of suffering that he talks about. He's mainly talking about suffering for your faith, for being persecuted because of what you believe. So that's mainly what he's referencing. But then he also kind of talks about um, suffering because of your actions, right? If you do something wrong and you get in trouble for it, that's a kind of suffering. But he often says, we don't want that kind. We want to avoid that kind as much as possible. And he's going to reiterate that again. But then there's another kind that's just kind of general suffering because the world is broken. Because there are sinful people, including us, and creation is broken and all of those things, all of those things kind of contribute to suffering. And so this morning, he's really focusing on and talking about suffering for your faith um, specifically, but just suffering in general. You can use some of these principles and apply them to that as well. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning in First Peter chapter 4 uh, verses 12 through 19 so if you will turn there and you can follow along with me it says dear friends don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed if you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. And so we're going to look at this and we're kind of going to see two different parts of this. The first is um, suffering can actually be for our good, for our benefit. And then the second half is how we can do good even in our suffering. So we can see that suffering is for our good. So we see that in, right in the verse 12. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you as if something unusual was happening to you. So what he's trying to get us to understand is suffering is not unusual. Right? It's not an unusual thing for believers to go through. Suffering is going to happen. And so whether it's um, for our faith 
And for us, that may not be as common as it is some other places in the world. We're pretty free to say what we want and believe what we want. And so we may have a little bit more freedom there because, you know, we're not being arrested. We're not being ridiculed. But like we talked about last week, we are being misunderstood a little bit, especially by um, media and people who stereotype all Christians into the same bucket. So we've experienced a little bit of that. Um, But we shouldn't be surprised when people don't understand and know how we're living because it's a completely different mindset. It's a completely different worldview um, than what other people are living. The Bible actually says that the gospel is foolishness for those who don't believe. For people that aren't believers in Christ, what we believe and what we're trying to do and how we're trying to live is not going to make sense to those who believe something else. So when you suffer... Whether because the world is broken or for your faith, don't be surprised. Right? It's not unusual. Faith gives us hope even in the world of suffering. And it's not unusual, and it does do good for us because it tests us or it purifies us. Right? He says, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Because when we're tested in suffering, how we respond reveals what we really trust in. When you hit hard times, who do you turn to? Do you pray? Do you read scripture? Do you seek other believers? Or do you seek Netflix and tuning out and watching TV and eating ice cream or going to get tacos or whatever it is? What are you turning to in those times of suffering? And that reveals really what you really trust in in those moments when things get hard. And so suffering reminds us that what we really need to trust in, what really gets us through will be trust in Christ and what he's done for us. And we also know that testing kind of reinforces and strengthens and proves that your faith is real, right? When you test something um, for its strength, you test it over and over and you put more and more weight on it. And the more weight you get on it, the more you trust it, right? Because it stood the test. And so our faith is kind of like that. When we suffer and we go through hard times and difficulties, when we endure it, when we continue to trust in God, no matter the circumstances, it strengthens our faith. It proves that our faith is strong and will endure, And so once those things are revealed to you, even if you come up short and you're found lacking and you say, well, I really do trust trust in other things sometimes, that's okay. It shows you where to work, how to seek God in that moment, where to repent, where to turn away, where to say, I don't need to do this anymore. I need to remove this from my life to seek God and give other things up. It also identifies us with Christ. See this in verse 13. It says, Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. So he says, instead of thinking suffering is unusual, right? Instead of responding and saying, something's wrong. I shouldn't be suffering. Something is not the way it's supposed to be. He calls us to rejoice. And one of the reasons he calls us to rejoice is We see this in in Acts chapter 5 of the apostles. They rejoiced that they were considered worthy of suffering. So this is Acts 5, 40 and 41. It says, After they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. And they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. The apostles rejoiced in their suffering. 
Because it, knew, it meant that God considered them worthy to suffer in his plan, in his knowledge of their faith and their trust in him. Right? Suffering came about, and as a result of that, they rejoiced, saying, God considered us worthy to suffer for his name. And that's a worthy thing to do. And so we should expect suffering, but I want us not to respond to suffering because like it's well it's just going to happen and so we don't want to trend into what i'm calling the eeyore mentality right oh man i'm going to suffer so i might as well just endure it everything's terrible we'll just suffer through the best we can and then we'll get to the end and then it'll just happen again right it's the eeyore mentality that everything is always bad and nothing good ever happens so we don't want to just say well i'm always going to be suffering so i'll just be in this place of just like everything is bad like eeyore but we need to be realistic in what's happening and our union with Christ in the moment, right? Because we are essentially going through the same things as him. And he told us when he was here that as what happened to him would also happen to us. He says this very clearly in John 15, 18 and 19. It says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world and I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So if we are suffering for the name of Christ, he's saying, look, you're the same thing they did for me, they're doing it to you. So it kind of reinforces that, that we are with him, that we are following him. Because if we suffer as Christ suffered, unjustly and for our faith, and trust in God, and we live the way that he desires, then we identify with him. We belong with him. It strengthens our hope, even in suffering, to suffer as he did. Because we know the outcome. We know the result of suffering because Christ suffered unjustly, right? more unjustly than anybody in the history of the world. And I know we've seen innocent people go to jail and be convicted of crimes that they didn't commit, and those people eventually get out, but those people are not completely innocent. They have done something wrong at some point in their lives, maybe not what they went to jail for, and maybe not something that severe, but none of us are perfect. None of us are without making mistakes or doing things wrong. None of us have ever, nobody's made it through without speeding or rolling through a stop sign or lying or cheating or any of those other things. All of us have done some of that. But Jesus was killed having done nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing. But he suffered and he died for those who were guilty. He died in their place so that we could be saved from the penalty of our crimes for what we have done wrong. That's what he died for. And it gives us hope that the outcome of his suffering was his resurrection and his conquering of sin and death. So what God did in him gives us hope that the same thing will happen to us. James kind of reiterates this concept. He says, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. We count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
So in the story of Job, Job kind of loses everything, but he trusts God all the way through, and then God eventually restores him. Right? So he endures, and he's saying, because we know the outcome, because we know the end, because we know what happened with Christ, when we suffer, we know what's going to happen, that we will be restored, we will be made new, we will be with God. Whether that happens in this life or the next, we'll get to that in a minute, but we know the outcome, and it helps us to endure. It also helps in our sanctification and glorification. So sanctification is becoming more holy, being more Christ-like, and glorification is eventually being without sin. We see this in verse 14. It says, If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So what he's saying is you're blessed in that time because the Holy Spirit is with you. God is with you in those moments. We see this concept again in Romans 8. It says, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that he, we may also be glorified with him. Right? Our sufferings and the things that we endure become blessings through the Spirit that is in us. He's this spirit of glory who, as believers in Christ, the moment you believe in him, the spirit comes into you and is with you. And so Peter was saying that the indwelling Holy Spirit in this moment, in your suffering on earth, is already part of the process of glorification, of becoming without sin. And our goal in life is to be more and more like Christ, to be more and more without sin for our lives because in eternity that's what it's going to be like so think of suffering and enduring and being in christ and trusting in with him and being purified is just kind of getting a head start on eternity that's essentially what we're doing in with the spirit in these moments because we see all throughout that the spirit is with his people when they are suffering Right, when they're wandering around, Israelites are wandering around in the desert. The Spirit is with them. Kind of, they can see it, right? It's a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, and they follow it around, and it leads them to the promised land. The Spirit is with them and leads them to better things, to rejoicing. And so good things can come through suffering. It increases our faith. It strengthens our faith. It purifies our faith to trust in God and Him alone. But it also shows us how we can do good in our suffering. So first, I'm gonna, this is from verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. And so this is the similar concept that he's talked about before, right? If you do wrong things and you suffer, it's kind of on you. And so he's saying, I don't want any of you to suffer for being these things. So the, the way that I think about it is, don't suffer for sin or sin in your suffering, which means don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't break the law so that you end up going to jail. That's unnecessary suffering. Don't do any of those things. But I think he's also saying to believers that when you're suffering, don't let that lead you into sin. Because when you're suffering, especially if it's because of a situation or what someone else has done to us, our gut instinct is to be angry, is to retaliate, is to fire back at them, right? That would lead us into sin, into sinful thoughts and sinful actions. 
And so he's saying, even in your suffering, even in your hard times, don't let that lead you to sin. Continue to do good. Don't suffer, even in those moments. He also tells us not to be ashamed because of our suffering. In verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Sometimes when we suffer, we would say, well, something must have gone wrong. I've done something wrong, and I'm being punished, or I'm being disciplined. And that may be the case, but usually it's not. Right? And so we sometimes, when we think of it that way as a punishment, we feel shame of I've done something wrong, and so I'm in trouble for it, and we kind of pull back and Pull, sometimes we pull out of our community and away from other believers because we don't want them to know what we've done or we don't want to talk about it or we think our life is supposed to be perfect and always going forward and so we kind of pull ourselves out. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying suffering isn't unusual. It's something that's going to happen to you so we don't need to be ashamed because we are enduring suffering or going through hard times especially for our faith. He's saying actually the opposite of that, for our faith, right? If you're suffering for your faith, then it's a good thing. You should be blessed. You should feel worthy. You should rejoice because God is allowing you to seek Him in that way. Just like we saw in the apostles earlier, they rejoiced because they were considered worthy of suffering. Not shame, but glory. Not doing something wrong, but it's right. God is using me. He is purifying me. He is testing me. He is strengthening my faith in Him. And then He calls us to endure judgment for a greater reward. This is 17 and 18. It says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he's not talking about how hard it is to become saved, even though uh, to become a Christian, even though it is sometimes hard for that. What he's saying is, suffering on earth for your faith is sort of a type of judgment. We're being judged for our faith. And it begins now. It happens during our lifetimes. But suffering for our faith refines us and clarifies that we are in and with Christ. And so for us as believers, it's difficult now in this world, but when Christ returns and we are judged, it saves us from being found lacking at that judgment which would determine your eternity. But the sinner and the non-believer will also be judged, and it's not going to go well for them. So what he's saying is, our suffering is now, but theirs will be later, and it will be for all eternity when they stand before God and His judgment. So our judgment now from non-believers, whether it's ridicule or persecution or whatever it is, is going to be lighter than what they are going to suffer in the future because of their rejection of God. And our temporary suffering now prepares us and purifies us for a greater reward later when we stand before God. That what you're dealing with now is nothing compared to those who are found outside of Christ at the judgment. And then lastly, he tells us to entrust ourselves to the faithful creator. 
that those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So the question I had when I was reading this is, what does it look like to entrust myself to the faithful creator? We've seen kind of him talk about entrust to the just judge, but this is the faithful creator. And first, we need to trust his sovereignty, right? If he created the world and all that is in it, and he is sovereign, he is ruling over all of it, he knows how it should work. He knows what's best. Think of him as the guy who wrote the manual for what's happening. And I don't know, most people aren't, but I like to read the, all the manuals for everything that I get, but it tells me exactly how it works. And I learn things that other people don't know because the guy who created it wrote the manual for exactly how to use it. And I think that's really what we see in the creator, that he's written this manual for how to live. So we can trust in him because he knows how things should work, how our lives should work, how they can be better by following his directions. We can also trust in his power, right? his power of creation. If he can make things out of nothing and put them together and create this universe, he has the power to change our circumstances, to intervene in whatever we're going through, to give us strength, to give us endurance give us faith and hope in him, right? He can come over, help us overcome our suffering. We can also trust his creativity, right? When you look at the world around us, all the trees are not the same. All the birds are not the same. There's all this varied differences of his creativity that we see in the world around us, even in us, right? None of us are the same. We're all different because God didn't just kind of stamp out the same thing over and over. He made us all unique because he is creative. And so in your life, some of the circumstances you are going through are just a creative way for God to sanctify you, to make you holy, I had a professor that kind of would say kind of at the end of every class that, that God doesn't do the same thing twice, even in our own lives, because he's too creative for that, right? So he's not going to teach me the same lesson that he teaches you in the same way. He's going to do it differently because we're different people and he is infinitely creative. And so this combination of seeing God as our faithful creator reminds us of God's love and power in the midst of trials so that we have no doubt that he cares for us or that he has the power to overcome what we're going through. And we entrust ourselves to God just like Jesus did, right? In his life, he carried out the will of the Father even to his death on the cross because he knew that God was the faithful creator and he had a plan for the redemption of mankind and so he followed through on that and so we also need to trust that god knows what his do what he is doing and that he has a power and a plan to do what is best for us even if it's uncomfortable in the moment that especially leads us to follow him and refines and strengthens our faith as we trust in him so we kind of pull all of this together it's a, I think it's important just to, from this one to understand that good can come from suffering. It's not all bad. It's not wrong. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Right? But good things come from difficult times. We see that it purifies us. It makes us holy, more like Christ, and it gives us a head start for eternity. That we'll be without sin and we'll trust in him and we'll love him for all time. 
It identifies us with Christ. If we suffer like he did, then we can have hope that we will be vindicated just like Christ, just as he was resurrected and is now with God. When our time comes, we will be resurrected and we will be with God. So in this, we can do good. We can trust God even in difficult, hard, challenging times. Even when the world doesn't understand how we're living or what we're trying to do or what we're trying to accomplish because they see the world completely differently than we do. But we endure. We continue to seek Him. And we seek to follow Him and follow His will so we don't have to suffer for some of the things that we could avoid of being um, doing wrong things or uh, suffering the consequences of our actions. But as we trust in Him, and he refines us and renews us, that that happens less and less and less. And I hope that this also helps us to see how we can encourage others as they go through suffering. We talked about this a little bit last Wednesday, right, of what to say and what not to say, of just to comfort people and to support them and encourage them in difficult times. And so through this, we can all come together and find and seek the good that comes through suffering. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for a chance just once again to be reminded that suffering isn't always negative. It isn't always something because of what we've brought on ourselves. It isn't being punished, but it refines us and it sanctifies us and it purifies us and it brings us closer to you. It strengthens our faith and what, it, what we can endure. And as we come through on the other side, we look back and we say, now, because I've made it through this, I know that God can bring me through. And it strengthens our faith and our hope and our trust in you. And so I pray that in this time where there's a lot of suffering, there's people who are sick, people who have lost jobs, people who are with their families and they need a break, right? It comes in all different shapes and, and ways of suffering. So I pray that you would just encourage us, you would strengthen us, you would give us hope, you would help us to lean on you because you are the faithful creator. You are with us in all things, and you have the power, the plan, the creativity, the majesty, the mightiness to help us through, to give us exactly what we need to endure what we are going through. In your name I pray, amen.